I'm, I'm excited to preach. I don't know about you. I'm, you may not be excited to listen, but I'm excited to preach. And I'm thankful that that pastor allowed me to, to preach. And I know that uh, with him preaching out and different things, um, but I'm very grateful to be able to do that. And, uh, and I was just thinking, I was hesitant on whether I should say something or not, but I, as I watch the, the video and I, I always see when a pastor talk, and I, I'm always reminded that all of us, not just me, all of us are, are a result of people's investment in our lives. And I'm thankful for that man. I, I mean that with all my heart. Many of you probably don't know him. I wish you did. Um, and uh, he has poured his life into me over the last four years of us being there. And I'm very, very grateful for that and, uh, and, and super excited um, about, uh, about what the Lord's called us to do. I'm excited about preaching tonight. I, I, I want to look at a text that I feel like, and I just want to clear up a spot here, because I feel like it's a text that probably all of us have heard, taught, preached. I think the first time I heard it was um, flannel graph. My kindergarten teacher was getting after it in, uh, in Sunday school. And so uh, I just feel like when we come to a text that we're going to look at tonight, I feel like sometimes it's easy to glaze over, if, if I can say that, because we know what it says. Um, but I'm just, I've been praying all afternoon that God would give us fresh eyes as we look at it uh, tonight and that the Lord would use it and the Holy Spirit would convict us. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to look at. Let me ask you this question, though, as we dive into it. Um, what kind of person, I just want you to answer this in your heart, but what kind of person do you think God should love? What kind of person do you think that God should welcome into his, his family? And, uh, I mean, should God simply love the good people of the world? And I don't know about you, probably all of us have heard people say, well, man, that's a good guy, or that's a good family, and, and what do we mean by that? You know, are we talking about a, a, a guy who goes down to a homeless shelter and, and feeds, you know, homeless people at Christmas time? That's a good deed. I mean, is, is it the person who gives thousands or millions of dollars to start orphanages or, or try to take care of hunger needs in Africa and, and different things and good deeds? Does God simply love the good people of the world? The good moral family who comes into church and, and serves and gives and all those wonderful things, is that who God loves? Because by saying that God, we might say that God loves good people, by, but by saying that we would imply that there are some bad people in our world. You know, so let me ask you again, who is it that God loves? Does God love the elementary school shooters in our world? Does God love the drug addicts who go from fix to fix and rehab to rehab? Does God love the prostitute on the street who doesn't like the way that she lives her life but doesn't know how to get out of it? She's got kids to feed. Does God love the prisoner on death row? Who is it that God loves? Does God love the million-plus ladies who walk into an abortion clinic in a year's time? Who does God love? And then I, I want to answer that question tonight, and then I want us to look at, as God's people, what should be our response to that answer of who God loves, okay? So I want to invite you to Luke chapter 15, if I can, tonight. Luke chapter 15, and uh, excited about uh, this passage of Scripture Luke chapter 15, and I wish we had time to go through all 32 verses. Really, they go together. Uh, but we're just going to cut off the first 10 verses, if I can, and, and want to go through those and try to answer that question. Luke chapter 15, let me read the first 10 verses to you um, as, we, as we dive into this. The Bible says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now, it's a big deal because... In chapter 14, the last verse, uh, Jesus said, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Well, the people that came to hear Jesus speak and to preach were publicans and sinners. Those were the ones who came to hear Jesus uh, preach. But notice this. Notice verse number 2. So publicans and sinners were coming to hear him. Notice verse number 2. 
And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. If we can say it this way, their feathers were ruffled. They were upset at, uh, at what Jesus was doing. And we'll look more at that in just a minute. Verse 3, so Jesus dives into three parables. Let's look at the first two. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Notice these words as we go through, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise, is what Jesus says is the result, really the application of it, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. All right, so let's look at uh, parable number two. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle, notice this, and sweep the house, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she... Call it together, friends and neighbors, uh, together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, Jesus says, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. I don't know about you, I love this passage of Scripture. Amen. And a lot of the reasons that I, I love this, we're going to look at it here in a second, but is that you and I at one point in our lives were lost. All of us have are the beneficiaries of someone telling us the good news of Jesus Christ, and we responded to it. We were all lost at one time. That's why I love this passage of Scripture. I love the book of Luke. I, I just finished it, walking through it, and uh, my devotion time in the mornings and Ephesians now. And I love this book, and it's unique in a lot of ways. One of the ways that it's unique is that it has a season two, if you will, a sequel. So you got Luke and Acts, that uh, written by the same guy, the same person, and really have a common theme. Uh, Luke was the writer and, and was uh, writing to address one of many I- ideas in the early church um, and really an issue, one that our man Peter struggled with, and that was the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's family. They struggled. The Jewish community struggled with the Gentiles being included. I mean, it was cool, an idea, until they showed up for church. You know what I mean? And then it was like, man, look at that guy's sandals. Why does he smell like that? Why does he look like that? Why does he act like that? Why does he say that? It, I mean, it was cool in theory what Jesus was saying until they showed up for church. And remember, remember Peter, uh, Paul called him out on it one time, remember? Got up in his face about it. He said, man, you, you want to say these truths until push comes to shove, and then you huddle in the corner with your Jewish buddies. So the early church struggled with this idea because it had always been Israel was God's people, and now these Gentiles were believing on Jesus. It was awesome. And so Luke writes different stories in both Luke and Acts to show that Gentiles, the outsiders, were welcome into God's family. I love it. Uh, I, one of the stories that sticks out to me in the book of Luke is in chapter 4. And uh, it's when Jesus goes into the temple for one of the first times to teach and to preach. Now, I don't know about you, I would have, I'd have loved to be there, you know? I mean, can you imagine the first time that Jesus preached? I mean, he steps up to the pulpit and scroll comes out. I must imagine he's going to fling it down, you know? I, I don't know what to, else to expect. I mean, he's just going to let it rip and, and, and go after it. And, and he does, he does, just in a different way. He preaches from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. And uh, you can go back and read it later on. But basically, the point of Jesus' message was this that the gospel had come to the poor. 
that the good news of the kingdom had come to the brokenhearted, the bruised. Now, it was a mic drop type of message because Jesus preaches it, and the Bible says he goes and sits down. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes, I mean, they're looking around going, man, did you hear that? You know what he was saying, right? You know he's claiming to be the fulfillment of that. And not only that, he was saying that the good news had come to people outside of their community, the people that they wouldn't be caught dead with. And so, and I love that because what you see in the book of Luke as well as the other gospels is that Jesus goes out of his way to reach into the lives of people that no one else wanted anything to do with. It's what uh, drove him to minister to a Syrophoenician woman. It's what drove him to minister to a Samaritan woman who was an adulterer, adulteress. I mean, she had gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. In fact, Jesus calls her on the carpet and says, the one you're with now is not even your husband. And yet he loved her. Amen. He reached into her life with living water. Yeah. She was there for physical water and he gave her something more than she bargained for before she left. Yeah. It's why Jesus was fine with the prostitute coming into his presence and anointing with oil. It's why Jesus reached into the lives of lepers and touched them. Yeah. It's why Jesus called tax collectors, the publicans. These guys were cheats. They literally made a living ripping off other Jews. And the Jews hated them for it. I mean, uh, I heard a person say the other day that there'd be three or four bodyguards around these guys at any given moment. Because these zealots who uh, were a part of the Jewish community would try to strike out and take them out. I mean, they hated them. These guys were punks. They were undeserving of God's love, if I can say it that way. Yet Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, who was climbed up in a sycamore tree, and said, come down. I'm going to your house today. And you read the story of Zacchaeus, which is actually just a couple of chapters later in Luke, and you leave with the impression that Zacchaeus' life changed that day. I mean, there's just no way around it. The man went from ripping off other Jews. He came in with an encounter with Jesus Christ, and he starts giving back to those people and others in excess. Jesus changed his life. It's what uh, made him look at a man like Matthew in one of the earlier chapters of Luke and Levi. The Bible tells us that Levi was literally in the process of ripping off another Jew. When Jesus looked at him, he said, come on, man, follow me. Come, come be one of my disciples. And he does. He leaves everything and follows Jesus. Jesus actively looked for opportunities to minister to these kinds of people. And here's what's amazing. It was these kinds of people that were coming to hear Jesus speak and teach and preach. If I can say it this way, the religious guys of the day, over 24,000 of them were not cool with it. It was not okay. They, They were not okay with these guys coming to hear Jesus teach and preach. In fact, here's what you find. These guys were, in the Jews' minds, spirituality, the epitome of spirituality. I mean, they were holders to the traditions. They followed all the laws to the T. They walked through the marketplace. I mean, people literally worshiped these guys. They were the epitome of spirituality. And they loved it. They loved the respect. I mean, they were fine with walking past people and groaning, saying, oh, man, that 40-day fast was a, man, it sure, it sure did a number on me. And, and people literally, they, they loved these guys for it. But here's the deal. The religious leaders of the day had developed a very dangerous mentality. And it was this. It was a separatist mentality. They were so good about pursuing holiness and righteousness, that here's what they did. They hedged themselves in from the world around them of unrighteousness. 
Now, here's the deal. I don't want to be uh, taken uh, differently than what I intend to tonight because hey, God has called us to be separated from the world. But here's the danger, and here's what we find of these guys. They wouldn't be caught dead with these kinds of people. The lepers, the harlots, the, the, the detestable punks of the world, the undeserving people, the people who were outsiders in, 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 uh, in the Jewish community. They wanted nothing to do with these kinds of people. Yet Jesus Christ loved these people. Man, he, he actively looked for opportunities to minister to them. And I love it because these religious guys, man, they couldn't stand it. They didn't understand why Jesus would, would love the lepers, why he would heal the lame, why he would speak forgiveness into these people's lives. Why would he do that? And so Jesus dives into three different parables to show why he's doing what he was doing. It's really an apologetic type of message. He was showing and proving why he was doing what he was doing. And uh, I love these parables. Um, the first one is one that we've heard a lot. Jesus dives into it and he talks about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He's accounting for him. So one, two, three, four, and he gets to 99 and finds that there's one missing. Now, as I've read this, uh, this passage before, I don't know if I've just blown past it or what, but I've never seen verse four as what it's intended to be. And that's that Jesus intends it to be a rhetorical type of question. So I've always envisioned this story as a parable or a story that Jesus is telling about a shepherd who finds out that he has one sheep missing. But really what Jesus intends verse four to be is a rhetorical type of question. He looks at these guys and he says, what man among you, if he loses one of his sheep, he says this, what man among you wouldn't leave the 99 and go after the one? So what Jesus is describing is not some random, impossible shepherd doing the incredible thing. What he's describing is what any typical average Joe Shepherd does. If one of the sheep goes astray, he leaves the 99 in order to get the one that's lost. Here's Jesus' point. He's saying, really this, every sheep matters to the shepherd. Every sheep holds value in the eyes of the shepherd. And Jesus' point is this, every person matters to God. Every person matters to God. And here's the reason why. He says, because they're lost. They weren't looking for God. They needed someone to pursue them. Now, I... uh, Going to give you a present day example. Uh, he's not here tonight. I wish he was. Uh, Hayes, we call him Hayes in the days. That boy is just in another world 90% of the time. Told you we venture out to the mall or, you know, Walmart even uh, sometimes. And so he's just in another world. He, he wants to look at this. He wants to look at this. He needs, you know, I used to judge those parents that had the leash on their kids. And I, I, I don't judge them anymore. So, uh, He's just in another world, and, and I'm thankful for him, but he's just, it's crazy. He needs something to keep him on task, you know? And, but what would you think about me as a parent if, if, uh, if he wandered off and I looked at my wife and I said, well, at least we have four, baby? <laughs> you know? You, you know by, and the reason you're laughing is because you know that by nature of our relationship, I'd never do that. I, I would never, if he wandered off, I'd never just say, well, sorry, bud, you shouldn't have wandered off. Well, I go until I find him. Right? And what Jesus is describing is nothing less. He says, a shepherd loves his sheep. Every sheep matters to the shepherd. So if one wanders off, he leaves the 99 in order to get the one because he's lost. He has value in the eyes of the shepherd. Now, follow me on this. How do we determine value? How do you determine value? I I think it's this, that value is what you and I are willing to pay for something. Now, follow me on this, because 
what holds value to you may not hold value to me. I, I like running, and, and, uh, and so I go to the shoe shop every now and then and get a new pair of shoes. And, man, sometimes you can throw down some, uh, some change on a good pair of running shoes, a pair of Hoka's or Brooks, or, you know, you can, you can uh, put some money down onto it, but it holds value. I run a lot, so, uh, you know, I want to make sure I have a good shoe that's going to last me a long time and, and different things. But maybe for you it's a pair of boots or a pair of different types of shoes or clothes or whatever it is. Whatever holds value in your eyes, you're willing to shell out the dough for it. What holds value in your eyes, you're willing to pay the cost. Now, now follow me on this because here's the reason I can say that every person has value in God's eyes. Because I know what he was willing to pay in order for every single person to be restored back into a relationship with their creator, God. Amen. So I can tell you that every person has value to God. Amen. The CEO who's living life in the fast lane thinks he's got it all figured out. And, and uh, to the person that maybe you passed tonight with the sign that said, we'll work for food. Can I tell you, every single person in this world matters to God. Maybe there's a person that hurts you as a child. I'm telling you, there's some real life stuff. There's some barriers to us fulfilling what God has called us to do as his church and to reach in the lives of people with the gospel. Can I tell you, every single person matters to God. Every sheep matters to the shepherd. That's what Jesus was trying to get across. And here's the reason why I believe that this is so important. Because I'm watching your faces tonight, and, and I'm noticing that you agree with me. You're, you're saying, yes, I believe this. I believe this truth. But here's what Jesus says, uh, and I'll, I'll jump on to even the next parable even to show this. But he says, either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, notice this, doth not light a candle, notice this, and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it, just in case we missed the point. Here's what Jesus is saying. Here's this lady who has 10 coins. She misplaces. She loses one. And uh, notice what she does. She lights a candle. She sweeps the house. She seeks diligently. I mean, she's pushing furniture. She's, you know, can you imagine this lady, first century floors, dirt going everywhere. She's trying to listen to this coin, maybe flop across the room. And now how many of you be honest tonight and say that your personality, you lose stuff quite a bit? Anybody? Okay, okay, so a couple of people. I'm telling you, I do all, all the time. I lose stuff. And uh, I was reading an article the other day. It said the average American spends uh, 2.5 days a year looking for the TV remote. So, and I don't, I don't doubt. And having toddlers and stuff, that's it's probably higher at our house. So um, we used to have a, a 2009 Hyundai Santa Fe. It was a good car. It's before we had six kids. And um, and so the, the downside to this car was that we only had one hard copy key. Yeah, which is a danger. So um, I come in from work one day, and it's just been one of those days. So I threw my phone, my wallet, my key down, went about my business throughout the evening, and kind of came back to it to clean up my mess at the end of the day. And there was my, uh, my phone and my wallet, my key was gone. So I asked our older son, I was like, hey, bud, have you, uh, have you seen the key? And so Graham down here was like, well, I think I saw Hayes. This was probably, I don't know, a year or so ago. Yeah, I saw Hayes running through the house with it. I thought, man, he didn't think to stop the wild child running through the house with our only key to the car, you know, but whatever. And so, so we began the process. So we, we went to the room. We started pulling out closets. And if you had toddlers or you have toddlers or you've had toddlers, then you know it could be anywhere. You know what I mean? So we're, we're flipping shoes. We're 
dumping toy boxes. We're flipping beds. Trindle, we had a trindle bed, and so we're pulling everything out, nothing. So we finally make it into the living room, and so I pull my sleeves up and reach my hand into the couch, which is always scary, you know, because you never know what you're going to come out with. And, uh, you know, Cheetos are a stone that used to be a sandwich or whatever, you know. And so, so anyways, nothing, nothing, no key. We have one key. We got one car, so I got to find this thing. So uh, finally going to the kitchen and m- messing around there, nothing. Finally narrow it down to the trash can. I'm sorry, you just can't make this stuff up. I mean, you can't. If it rains, it pours. So open the trash can lid. We're, I'm trying to find it, nothing. So I, I'm like, well, it could have been one of the trash bags from earlier that I took out, you know, whatever. So I go out in Amarillo, uh, where we're from, um, it's a community trash can. So there's just one big trash can for every six or seven homes. Yeah, it's a bummer. And it never fails. Uh, it never fails. You just can't time it with your neighbors, you know. Everybody takes out their trash at the exact same time. And everybody's got 58 and a half bags of trash somehow. And so, anyway, so I walk, I walk out there, and sure enough, I mean, the lid is just, you know, wide open, trash bags everywhere. And uh, so, and, and your pastor's been there, so our house is right next to the church building, which is next to a big, huge open field and streets and everything. So I kind of do the number, you know, you kind of turn around and look, my, my reputation's about to be blown. So, <laughs> so anyway, so I, but I thought, well, that's the key, you know, it's, we only got one car. So I step up on it. You know, oh, kind of push the lid back, and I grab that first bag, and I'm telling you, great value bags stink. So I pulled that bag, and it ripped, juice flying, you know. And it's it's the one time you wish you didn't have a beard because it kind of hangs out in there for a couple weeks, and and uh, so, oh man, it was it was bad. So I finally get that first bag, you know, gone, and I'm trying to reach down, and it was a couple layers down. Finally, get the bag open to find the key, right? One lost, crazy key, right? Yes, found it, though. So here's the deal, though, and, and this is true of all of us. When we have something that holds value to us, what does it make us do? Doesn't it make us look for it? Oh, yeah. I mean, even it, it might take us to a trash can to go dumpster diving if we got to find it. But it almost seems like when we lose something, it's like life kind of hits a pause button, right, until we find it. And what Jesus describes is this almost frantic state of this lady who loses one of her coins, who has value in her eyes. And here's what she does. She lights a candle. She sweeps the house. And she seeks diligently until she finds it. Here's what Jesus is saying. That pursuing what was lost became her number one priority. Life hit a pause button until she found what was lost. Here's the deal. Here's what Jesus was trying trying to say through these parables. He was trying to explain to these Pharisees and scribes that he was trying to really show God's nature, that God loves people. He loves people. He is actively pursuing people, the, good, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, and everyone in between. God loves them and he cares for them. That's what Jesus was trying to get across. God's very nature is love for people. Amen. But here's also what Jesus was trying to get across that Jesus was acting out that love in the lives of people. It wasn't even just simply to know that God loves people. I mean, we should, we should relish in that. I mean, you and I have experienced God's love, and we should be thankful for that. But Jesus was saying this. It was God's love. It was God's very nature that 
caused him to act into these people's lives, to be the, the flesh of God's love in the lives of people, and to point them to God. And it was his number one priority. It was what his life was about. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is not a message of guilt. This is not a message of, hey, we, you need to shore up and you need to get with it. And I'm telling you, this is not that kind of message. The truth is this. We all need to be reminded of what God has called us to do as his people. Amen. You know, one of the dangers of, of man, I, I love being here tonight and it has been an encouragement to me. Because I very, very rarely, and I mean this respectfully, but very rarely do you go to a church where you feel like they're a family. And I'm thankful for that. I felt that tonight. That was the spirit. I felt like this was a family. And so there's a lot of benefits in that because you feel like you encourage each other, you exhort each other, you comfort, you live life together. And those are some of the analogies that scripture gives us. We should be doing those things. But here's the danger. Here's the danger is that sometimes if we're not careful, we can love so much what we have here that we forget that there are people who are not enjoying this outside of these walls. There are people who do not know the love of God who are outside of these walls, who need someone to act out God's love in their lives, that need someone to pursue them like this lady turned up furniture looking for him, and that, hit, that really life hit a pause button until she found what was lost. And here's where the Lord challenged me, because I have so many things that vie for my attention, my energies, my everything, you know? And, and, and so where the Lord challenged me is this, because... There's a lot of things that I would deem as a priority, but is reaching people with the gospel message, the person I love the most and the person I can't stand and everyone in between, is that my number one priority in life? And I'm going to stand here before you tonight and be honest with you and say it's not always my priority. It's not, I'm not always acting out God's love in the lives of people, but I should be because that's what God has called us to do to showcase his grace. All of us have experienced God's love. I'm going through Ephesians right now, and man, I got to Ephesians chapter 2, where you realize who you were and who you are now in Jesus Christ. And really, the purpose of this is, is uh, in Ephesians chapter number 2 even, was to show that we are to showcase. We're, we're not saved by works, but we're saved to work for God. And here's the deal. If God has shown his love and grace in your life. I'm imploring you tonight, let's showcase that love in the lives of people. Let's reach out into the lives of people in this community and places like El Paso and around the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I remind you tonight that you are plan A for reaching the world. Amen. And there's not a plan B. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were telling me how unfair it was to serve a God who would allow people over in Africa who've never even heard about God to, to die and go to hell. I mean, how unfair. How unfair is that, that a God would let, let people do that? Truth is, there's not a little innocent man over in Africa. Right. Heaven has never been the default. What is unfair is that you and I, who know the truth, aren't telling people. Amen. And I'm telling you, this is not a guilt message. I'm just trying to encourage us tonight to be who God has called us to be as his people. I want to challenge you tonight that Jesus' ministry was to pursue people with everything that he had. 
to reach into the lives of people who others didn't even think deserved it. But Jesus loved them and he cared for them. Now, in this way, I, I love how both of these parables end. Uh, I ask you this question, what, what brings joy to God? Um, I, I probably make a good list of things, maybe even people... You might help me even make a list of maybe church attendance or giving or we could go down a list of things that we might think that would bring joy to God. But the truth of the matter is our, our passage tonight told us exactly what brings joy to God. Jesus says that what brings joy to God and brings really all of heaven into a state of rejoicing is when a lost person becomes a found person. When the lost coin becomes a found coin. When the lost sheep becomes a found sheep. That's what brings rejoicing. Amen. What brings joy to God. What you find in the last parable, we don't have time to look into it, but the son who comes home to the father and the father's ready with arms wide open. Man, there is joy when people repent and turn to God. Man, don't you want to be a part of what brings joy to God? Amen. It's awesome. It's an awesome responsibility. I uh, got the privilege of uh, preaching down in a prison in Huntsville, uh, Texas. It's a high security prison. And just be honest with you, I was scared out of my mind. We pulled up and huge fences, massive barbed wire. And we, uh, we, meet, we met the chaplain at the front door. And he said, Brother Micah, uh, he was me and my dad. He goes, y'all are going to go through this uh, first door and there's going to be this skinny yellow line. He told me, he's like, don't get off the yellow line. And I thought, well, what does that even mean? You know, like, what's going to happen if I get off the, don't test me, you know? And so the door opens, and it sells on both sides, all the way up, about three stories. And so my dad and I are walking down this little yellow line, and people are, man, screaming, they're yelling. Some were encouraging, others not so encouraging. And uh, you finally get to the chapel, and you have to preach in this uh, big box, and so... uh, Get up there, and it was just, yeah, I was nervous. And uh, until the prisoners started filing in, there was about 100 that night. And I'm telling you, they got up there and started singing. It was awesome. Veins were popping, people praising. It was awesome. It was awesome. And so we got up there, preached a five-minute message. My dad preached after that. And so I don't, I don't know how you do it here, but I'm just used to an invitation where, you know, a couple of verses, people respond. I wasn't ready for what was about to take place. So there was this guy on the very front row and uh, he just starts chanting a name, John, 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 John. I'm telling you, it was an awkward 20 seconds, you know, because I'm like, who's John and why is he not moving? And so this guy just keeps chanting his name. He doesn't stop. He just chants his name. Before long, this whole section is chanting his name. John, John, John. So before long, I'm, I'm not making this up. About a minute into it, this, these people are still chanting this guy's name. The whole place erupts chanting this guy's name, John, John. So finally, there's this guy in the very back row. And I didn't think anything about it. You're in a prison, you know. And, but he's sitting back there the whole time. Come to find out he was a, a, a gang leader in the prison who had come. And so he gets up and he begins to walk down the aisle. And, uh, and this prisoner meets him at the front. And he's got tears just running down his face. He trusted Christ that night. Amen. It was awesome. It was awesome. I'm telling you. And, uh, but what I was reminded of as I was sitting there, uh, was and honestly, that was a huge deal. But what took place after, to me, blew my mind. So this guy is walking down the aisle. He's passing pews and chairs. And so as he's passing them, guys just erupt. Guys are high-fiving. Guys are hugging. Guys are crying, shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord. I mean, it was just chaotic. It was nuts. 
And as I was sitting up here, I just, I remembered, I remembered this passage. And I, and I thought to myself, what do you think it's like in heaven when one sinner, when one sinner repents? Our passage tells us that all of heaven, there's, pre, there's rejoicing of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. It was, it was an awesome experience to, to see that guy come down, one sinner that repented, and see the breakout and the rejoicing. But what brings heaven into a state of rejoicing is when a lost person becomes a found person. And I believe what the Lord wants us to look at tonight is, who is it that God loves? Well, he loves every single person that's willing to repent and turn to him. No matter their history, their past, their ethnicity, their background, whatever it might be, God loves people. He wants every single person to come to know him as Lord and Savior. If you're here tonight and you don't know him, this is an awesome opportunity to encourage you that God is pursuing you. You're here tonight because God loves you and he's pursuing you. But if you're here tonight and you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I think that it would be uh, fitting to encourage you and challenge you that God wants to use you in the lives of those around you um, to lead them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You might say, Brother Mike, I don't know what to say. I'm scared out of my mind. I'm telling you, um, those are all real and raw emotions that we all go through. And, uh, but God has called us to, to live out our lives, to showcase His grace in the lives of other people. Start by telling people your story. You know, sometimes we lose sight of the billions of people around the world, and we lose sight of the one. Man, the one that's living across the street from us, the one working across the, the belt from us on a Monday morning. Can I just encourage you and challenge you that God's called us to pursue people? Make it your priority in life. Make every interaction, every relationship about Jesus Christ. Let's pursue people. And uh, let's, let's be a part of what brings joy to God in all of heaven. Let's pursue people and make it our number one priority. God, I love you. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the truth of it. God, how you've challenged me so many times through this passage. God, of, of many times the weakness of my own heart to live out this passage, God. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in your people. God, it's your Holy Spirit that takes your word and convicts us and challenges us and uses it in our life. And I pray, God, that if there's someone here that doesn't know you tonight as Lord and Savior, that you would continue to draw them to yourself and that they would respond to your love tonight. God, if there's people here tonight as a part of your church body who know you, God, but maybe, Lord, have been challenged tonight through your word to pursue people. Will you help them tonight to think of someone? God, that they could reach out into the lives of, uh, to share the good message of the gospel. God, people don't have to go across the seas even, Lord, to fulfill this command. We help them and challenge them, God, to be who you've called them to be as the church. You challenge them, God, to, to live out your love in the lives of people. We're so grateful for your word, how it challenges us. I pray, God, that you would use it in the lives of your people tonight. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.